uh, down through 32. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you, yourself know, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I ha- I may, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades and let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, and nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of of that we are all witnesses. Let's pray this morning again. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, this is your word that we just heard, uh, and it comes to us as living and active uh, with power and authority. Lord, I pray that, that as Hebrews says today, Lord, if we hear your word, we would not harden our hearts, but that your spirit would be at work inside of us, that you would take this word and apply it to our lives, that you would give us courage to be witnesses, as that is what you've called us here to do as a church, that you would give us uh, strength to trust in you, to see how you keep your word, and when you make an oath, you fulfill it. Lord, that we would find you in our daily lives to be trustworthy, to be wholly good, even when we don't understand what you're doing. We just pray that you would give me the words to say as we work through this passage today. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm sure many of us have been at at points in our lives where we are facing some sort of difficulty. And maybe we even uh, get to a point where we begin to to doubt God. We begin maybe to wonder, what, what is God doing? And maybe in discouragement or, or in a moment of frustration, maybe you have been in a place where you have cried out to God and said, God, why would you allow this to happen? What are you doing? Perhaps maybe you've even said uh, to God, God, this isn't fair. God, I've loved you, I've tried to serve you, and and now you're letting difficult things happen in my life. Now bad things are happening, maybe a tragedy or an illness. And you say to God in a moment of, of frustration, God, this isn't fair. We need to know that in all circumstances in life, God is trustworthy. 
And God keeps His Word in every circumstance in our life. And even when we do not understand what is do, God is doing, God sometimes allows difficulties to come in our, to our lives. He allows things to happen that we would never wish upon ourselves or wish upon everyone, anyone else. But we know that God has the ultimate end in mind. And that will be victory. That will be victory as we share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as sin and death is finally put away, sometimes God walks us through hardship so that we might grow in our trust in Him. Whatever your circumstances may have been in the past or maybe are right now, we want to encourage you today to trust God. And our main point this morning is that trust God to keep His Word and fulfill His plan since the plan of God was Jesus' death and resurrection. What we have going on here, and this is the, the middle section of the speech uh, of, of Peter. And last week we looked at how the Holy Spirit came upon the people of God and, and we finished up with just the opening verse that Peter quotes from Joel and he says, this wonderful promise of the Holy Spirit from Joel, that's what you see going on here now and that's why everyone is speaking in tongues and communicating the Gospel to people in different languages. So now we have going on, Peter is going to explain why is this happening? What has come to pass? And that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want you to see this morning how Peter connects it to the Old Testament. That the Old and New Testament are part of the one Word of God given in various times and in various places down through the ages, but brought to fulfillment through the Lord, so that the Lord God keeps His promises in what He does through Jesus in His death and resurrection. And of course, that is our hope and salvation, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So first this morning, God validated Jesus' ministry as... um, Yeah, so God validated Jesus' ministry and then as planned, in His plan, delivered Him to be crucified. So what do we have going on here in the the early life and ministry of Jesus? And this is, Peter's Peter's giving like the synopsis here. He's giving like uh, the Cliff Notes versions of everything that has happened uh, up to this point in the Gospels. So Jesus Christ was known, He was seen, and His ministry in doing these miracles were attested by God. Meaning God had, had put His stamp of approval on Jesus and said, This is my man. This is my Messiah. Look with me at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Remember, this is only 50 days after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, for 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus appeared to the disciples until he ascended into heaven. Pentecost is 10 days after the, the ascension. So it was only a 51 days ago that Jesus Christ was walking the earth, that he was doing these miracles, that the people knew about him and they could see. And Peter says, what was going on there? You knew or know who this Jesus was. 
You saw him. You touched him. You were around him. Maybe there were some people in Jerusalem at this moment that they hadn't seen or ever met Jesus, but they heard the rumors. They heard the stories. Even if you didn't know Jesus or hadn't met him, or maybe you didn't, uh, you yourself weren't healed, you probably knew a friend who was healed. Or you knew a friend of a friend who said, I had a brother's, sister's, mother's, cousin's, uncle's, third cousin who I heard got healed by Jesus. It would have been the talk of the town, as it were. It would have been common conversation. So Peter starts there. He starts with what they know. And he said, this man was attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders and signs. Even the Pharisees knew that Jesus was doing miracles, right? And what did they have to say? They, they saw these miracles happen. They, they were happening right in front of them. And they couldn't say to the people, no, 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 these things aren't happening. Because the people would have said, no, we just saw it. This guy was dead and now he's alive. Or this guy was, couldn't walk and now he can. So what do the Pharisees say? In Matthew chapter 12, they say, he must be casting out these demons by a demon himself, by Satan or Beelzebub. They were saying this isn't spiritual, godly power. This must be demonic power. And Jesus, of course, says, but if by the spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew chapter 12, verses 17 and 18, quoting Isaiah, says this of Jesus' miracles. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. God was at work in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus certainly had his own spiritual power, but God himself, God, Jesus' Father, is, is at work through Jesus in such a way that the people seeing these miracles should have said, I see that God is behind what is going on here. There is a spiritual revival going on. And, and when true revival happens, it is the hand and work of God. So Peter says, Jesus was a man attested with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. You know these things. You've seen these things. But what does it mean? Peter continues on saying that God delivered this Jesus up into lawless men to be crucified. Say They would have known this as well. They would have known there's this guy, he claims to be the Messiah, he's doing these miracles, these things are attested by God, but he ended up dead. He ended up on the cross. Look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There is a big problem here. If God was working in Jesus, why would God allow Jesus to be crucified? 
Now, we kind of, as Christians, we know the answer to this. We say, well, of course he was dying for our sins. But, but think about this from their perspective for a minute. You see, the book of Deuteronomy says that anyone who is hung on a tree is, is cursed by God. So they see this man, Jesus, and they saw him doing these miracles and they said, God must be with him. But then they see this kind of kind of a a reversal. The exact opposite happens. This guy ends up on a cross. And we know from the Old Testament, if he was on the cross, God had a curse upon him. So so the temptation would have been to say, well, this guy must not have been the Messiah. This guy must not have been God's man because God would not curse his chosen special one. If God was really pleased with him, would God have brought this curse upon him? I think this is one of the biggest reasons people in in the early church history times, uh, Jewish people in particular, rejected that Jesus was the Messiah. He had been cursed in the most brutal, horrible unimaginable way possible. There were others down through the ages uh, that had been crucified. And whenever uh, a Jewish person was crucified, it didn't matter how prominent they were to the people around him. They were from that point on viewed as cursed. Didn't matter how good their lives had been up to that point, how influential they had been, how much they maybe stood up to the Roman government. If Rome crucified them, even though it was at the hands of Roman soldiers, they would have looked and said, yeah, but God was in that and he cursed this guy and he clearly wasn't our leader. Uh, There was at one point something like 400 uh, Pharisees or Jewish leaders that were crucified in one of the the times uh, before Jesus. And and after that point, those those men were not considered leaders anymore. They weren't looked up to. Their sacrifice was not considered a good thing. Why? Because they were on the cross and that was a curse. And, And they looked in their Old Testament and they said, God cursed these people. And so now they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, but God cursed Jesus. Jesus Christ was on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, but they didn't understand that yet. Why would God curse this person? But Peter says, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. So in this very event where where these human leaders, these human rulers rebelling against God, take God's Messiah and they put him on the cross in these horrible, uh, tragic events, the, the kind of punishment that we wouldn't want to come upon anyone. God is at work. God has a definite plan that he carries out according to his foreknowledge, according to his knowing all things. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28 says this, For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The death of Jesus Christ was part of the eternal plan of God. God didn't merely just know that it would happen. 
The, the foreknowledge that God has here in this plan is not just, oh, I see ahead of time what's going to happen and I send Jesus. God sent Jesus with the very plan that Jesus Christ would die on the cross. It's a, a definite plan. God didn't say, well, there are some bad people down there and I know sometimes bad people do bad things and it might not go well for you, Jesus, but we'll send you anyways. Jesus knew even before he came to earth what his mission was. God the Father knew and sent his son into that because it was his predestined plan that Jesus Christ should be the Savior dying on the cross, paying the perfect penalty for our sins. Isaiah 46, um, verse 10 God is one who, quote, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are uh, not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. In other words, when I want something to happen, it will come to pass. God orders the beginning from the end. All things that happen in creation happen because of His control and His plan and His purposes. And He is moving it all along so that Jesus would die on the cross, rise again from the dead, and then when He returns, He will receive all glory and praise and every knee shall bow before Him. This is God's plan. And we've seen the parts of it that He's accomplished. There is still yet to come more that he will accomplish it. And his plan will not fail. Nothing in creation happens apart from the plan and the purpose of God. Do you really believe that? Do you understand that? Does that, does that shape the way that you look at life? That God is in control. We read in the Old Testament, in the events around Job. Remember Job? Remember how Satan goes into God's presence after roaming around in the earth? And God says to Job, uh, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And then Job is, uh, Satan is allowed to uh, have tragedies happen in the life of Job. But God restrains Satan so that there is only so much that Satan can do. The first part of that is that God allows Satan to take away everything that Job has, but says you cannot touch Job's life and his health. God, even in his plans and purposes, restrains evil. And we don't often understand why did God even let some of these things happen to Job? But what we do need to see is that Satan can't do anything apart from the plan and purpose of God. And that's a, a good thing. Because God restrains evil. Then Satan comes back after he's taken everything. And of course, um, God then says you're allowed to inflict Job with disease, but you cannot take his life. It strengthened Job's trust. It taught Job about who God really was. But at the end of the day, the purposes and the evil of Satan 
was limited and restrained by the ultimate plan of God, which was in the end for Job's good. We see this over and over again in the Old Testament. The Assyrians come in to attack Israel and they are surrounding Jerusalem. And God basically says, this far, no farther. And that's all they can do. Even saying, I am going to use the Assyrian king in his wickedness to to bring judgment on my people. But I will limit what he can do. The plan and purposes of God govern all things and we need to trust God. We need to trust God. Trust God even when evil rages. Sometimes theologians and and philosophers and and even just regular Joes like us, we, we debate the problem of evil. The problem of evil in a nutshell is how can God be good and all powerful and let evil happen? And so the argument goes basically, if God is good, he wouldn't want evil to happen. So the fact that evil happens must mean God isn't all powerful. Can God really be good in the circumstances of my hardships, in the injustice in the world? I don't know all the inner workings of how to solve this dilemma philosophically, but I tell you the God of the Bible testifies In his word, he tells us that he is good. And he tells us that his purposes will stand and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. But you know what? It gets even more personal than that. You and I have bad things that happen to us and we say, why would God allow this? Doesn't God care? God let the ultimate bad stuff happen to his son we wonder sometimes in our lives why would God let some evil prosper why would he let a wicked person have their way I'm here serving God and and it's not going well for me why I tell you this even more so than it happens to you God in his infinite wisdom and his perfect plan let it happen to his son because it fulfilled his purpose. Jesus Christ was innocent. If, if anybody had reason to complain for injustice and evil happening to them, it was Jesus Christ going to the cross. Yes, for our sins, but, but these are, are wicked men who take Jesus. These are, are sinners who want Jesus to die. These are not people coming along saying, well... We're going to be here to fulfill God's plan. We just want to do His will. They're saying, we're going to get this Jesus. He thinks He's so righteous. He thinks He's God's man and God is with Him. We'll show Him we are going to kill Him. And we're going to hang Him on the cross. And that cross is going to say to everyone that God is cursing this man. God sits back in heaven. And in Psalm 2, it tells us God laughs when the nations plot against him. He sits back in heaven and he chuckles and he says, this has been my plan all along. You think you are thwarting me. 
You are fulfilling my purposes so that I can save people. I am using your wickedness to pay for the wicked sins of others. That curse that I am pouring out, Jesus is bearing the wrath that God has for everyone who's a sinner so that our sins can be washed away because Jesus pays for it. Don't ponder these things, the problem of evil, abstractly. You look at the cross and you say, I don't understand all the ins and outs of God's plans. There are mysteries that I don't know why God does what He does. But I know His plan and His purpose is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if God could let that happen to His Son, and that fulfills the great purpose of salvation, how much more can the little things that, that by comparison, and I don't mean to belittle, but by comparison, they, they pale to the Son of God suffering innocently for us. Those things that happen in my life can be and are a part of the plan and purpose of God. You trust God in the cross of Jesus Christ, right? You say, what God did there, it doesn't make complete sense, but it is right. It is good. I am so glad that Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. Trust God then with every other area of your life. With everything that comes up that is out of your control. With things that happen that you don't understand why. And maybe you never will in this life understand why. Trust God in your circumstances. Second this morning, God raised Jesus from the dead because of Jesus, uh, because of who Jesus was and what Scripture promised. So, so the story, the events, the, the good news does not end with Jesus just dying. It, it culminates in, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that, that God did not save Jesus on the cross by taking the penalty for our sins away. Otherwise, we couldn't have been saved. Jesus actually did die. But Jesus is actually raised up out of that so that on the cross, Jesus says, into your hands I, I commit my spirit. A, a moment of total trust upon His Father. And God doesn't say, okay, I see that you trust me, now you don't have to die. No, God sees that trust. And then, of course, fulfilling His Word and, and what God always had planned to do and what Jesus knew that God would do, God waits three days so that Jesus is in the grave. He is truly dead. And He raises Jesus up. It was impossible for death to hold Jesus. Look at verse 24. God raised Him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. So Jesus Christ is truly God. He has been God from all eternity past. He comes to earth, born of a virgin, born uh, of the baby, right? He has a real human body, even though He is truly God. But that human body can die. Uh, in, in the Gospels, Jesus gets tired. Jesus needs food. It is like your human body and my human body. And it can die. 
And it does die on the cross. But when you and I die, death stays over us. Death holds us down, as it were. Uh, People don't just, you know, three days later decide, well, I'm done with this death thing. I'm going to get back up out of my casket. Death has a power. It is an enemy, Scripture tells us. But for Jesus, it could not hold him down. Think of like a a wrestler uh, pinned to a mat. And, and you ever see those wrestlers and they pin them down and they get them really far down and then the one wrestler tries to like throw his back up and, and, and if the guy on the bottom is really strong, he just gets back up. I had a friend when I was a camp counselor. He was probably about this tall, but he wrestled. And I'm about six foot. He's probably about five foot and a half. And he had wrestled for, for Kutztown University. So I thought it'd be fun one day to wrestle him. He probably pinned me in less than 15 seconds. And he held me down. And he could continue to hold me down, even though I outweighed him probably by a good 25 pounds. Because he had that strength. The stronger person wins. Jesus is the stronger person, and he's stronger than death. So there are three reasons here why it's impossible for death to hold Jesus. First is the divine reason. The fact that Jesus is truly God. John chapter 10, verse 17 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus is the one who willingly lays down his life. He can willingly just take it up again, because he has that power. He's God. None of us can do that. The second reason that death cannot hold Jesus is what I'll call the human reason. Now, when each of us die, it is because of our sins, because we still have sin in our bodies that that causes us to get old and and cease to exist, and death is the punishment because of, of sin. But Jesus Christ, when he dies, he takes our sin upon himself, but he completely pays for it. He washes it away. He exhausts it. Jesus Christ never had sin of his own. He was perfectly righteous. So once he has paid the penalty for our sins, that's it. Uh, There's no more penalty. It's kind of like getting a time out. Once the time is up, you can get out of it. If you ever play hockey and you get uh, in the penalty box, there's a certain limited amount of time. And once you serve the time, it's done. Jesus Christ serves the time for our sins. He dies perfectly in our place, but he exhausts the wrath of God. In the scriptures, the wrath of God is often described, and this is another image for your mind, as a, as a cup or a bowl, the, the wrath of God. And, and think of like a cup that is, that is poured out and it just pours down on the person that, that has been sinning. And in this case, it's Jesus taking our place. The wrath that should be for us is poured out upon Jesus. But picture the cup then. At some point, it it runs out in the last few drips and you, you shake the water or whatever out and it is empty. And there is no more. Because there is no more penalty to be a penalty to be paid for sin. Jesus Christ can rise again from the dead. The third reason is God's oath. God doesn't break his word. 
So God had promised that death would not hold Jesus. And He keeps that promise. He keeps that promise. A really great example of this is in the Old Testament. Do you remember Abraham and Sarah? Do you remember how old they were when they finally had their son Isaac? Abraham was 100 and Sarah was in uh, their, their, her 90s. Uh, a couple of you are approaching your 90s here. None of you are planning to have any more kids. It just doesn't work that way. But God was at work in the womb of Sarah. And so they have this little baby, Isaac, and he begins to grow up. And so, you know, when, when, when Isaac's 20 years old, Abraham is 120, right? And at some point, God comes to Abraham and he says, take Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him. What? And, and even more shocking is, is Abraham says, okay. Now, if any of you today hear a voice that says, I need to go and sacrifice my children, you need to get on medication. Uh, but this is a unique circumstance. But God or Abraham knew that God would keep his word. And what was God's word? God's word to Abraham was, in Isaac, you will have descendants. So Abraham knew that whatever I do when I get up there, whatever is going to happen, I still will have my son Isaac when I come back down because Isaac doesn't have kids yet. And God made me a promise that Isaac would have descendants who would be my heirs. Abraham knew God was going to do something. I don't know that he knew what God was going to do. Ultimately, God sends a lamb and Isaac uh, doesn't have to be sacrificed. It was a test from God to see if Abraham really trusted. I think, and Hebrews tells us, that Abraham knew that God could raise the dead. So that he knew, even if I go up there and kill Isaac, God has to raise Isaac from the dead because I need descendants from Isaac because that's what God promised. You see, God keeps his promises. And God keeps his promise to Jesus Christ here that he's made through David. It quotes Psalm 16. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or to the grave, and your, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made me to know the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. This is a psalm of David. And David often writes these psalms when he's in a bad situation, dire straits, enemies are surrounding him, armies are, are coming down on him. Uh, you know, sometimes Saul is trying to kill him, and he's hiding in caves. And, and David writes some of these psalms, and, and he says, in some places, he says, The cords of death are around my neck. I'm going down into the grave. God, save me out of this. And God often delivers David out of these things. But Peter tells us that David wasn't the ultimate person that this psalm was talking about. And how do we know that? Peter has a really solid argument here. David is dead. 
And David stayed dead. And he says to the people, he says, and by the way, we know where David's grave is. David couldn't have been talking about himself here. Maybe symbolically in a way, a number of times that David was saved, it was like getting his life back. But there came a time in the life of David where David actually did die. And he actually stayed dead. And if this psalm was just about David only, God would have broken his word. And so Peter tells us, the word of God tells us, David was a prophet. Look at verse 29. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Then in verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor, was his flesh, nor did his flesh see corruption. So two things. One, David is a prophet. And so as he writes this psalm in the original time that he's writing it, he is writing it through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is giving him more to say than just about his present circumstances. He is prophesying about Jesus and the Messiah, and what would happen to the Messiah. The second thing is, David, like Abraham, knew God's word. And David knows that God has promised that he will have a descendant who sits upon the throne forever. And so, this descendant, who ultimately is Jesus, this descendant cannot die. Or if he does die, which he did, death permanently cannot hold him. Jesus' body was in the grave three days. Three, we count uh, Friday night, we count all day Saturday and Sunday morning. Three days. It shows us that he was truly dead. But in three days, your body does not begin to see corruption. It does not begin to fully uh, decompose. David's grave at the time would have been there and David would have been by then just dust. and Bones probably wouldn't have even been left. But Jesus, coming down under the cords of death, actually being put into the grave, seeming that death has had the victory, Jesus can't be held by it. And he is there three days that we are assured he was truly dead, but his body doesn't begin to rot. And God fulfills his word and raises it up from the dead, raises up Jesus from the dead. We need to trust in God in all of our circumstances. You and I need to be a people who look to the cross and the resurrection. You see, what happened to Jesus going into the grave dying on the cross, I deserved that. I deserved that death. I deserved to be separated from God forever. I deserved to go, to go down into the grave, into what the Old Testament describes as like a pit, far away from the presence of God who is up in heaven. That should be you and I. That should be me. 
And in the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God and His predestining ordering of all things, God puts His Son, Jesus Christ, in our place to pay the penalty for sins, to fulfill His promises. Each one of us has had moments in our life where we wonder where God is. Maybe we cry out to Him. Maybe we feel like He's not answering some of our prayers. Things aren't breaking for us and they continue to pile up in hardship and you need it to just break open and be taken away. And we begin in those moments sometimes to doubt God. We wonder, does God keep His Word? And sometimes we think He's slow in keeping His promises. The Bible says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises as some count slowness. How do I know this? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross. And God kept His Word for Abraham. And God kept His Word for David. And most importantly, God kept His Word to His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, and raised Him from the dead. That is the victory. And that victory was accomplished for us. So that you can know God will keep His Word for you. Sometimes it seems to drag on. Sometimes the pain seems to not end. And sometimes in this life we go through hardships that in this life God does not take away. But God will keep His promises. He will keep His Word. And He will bring you into His presence. And being in the glory of God in that resurrection body on the last day, that will pale in comparison to any hardship that we've suffered in this life. Have you ever run a really long race and you get into the middle of it and you go, I cannot go any farther. Your, your legs are flaming. Maybe you can't catch your breath. You're, you're, you're ready to give up and you're ready to throw in the towel. And somehow you make it through to the end and everything's fine and you go back home and you... You rest and you nap and you shower and you eat a whole lot. And when you sit down to enjoy that feast, that feast pales in comparison. You can't even imagine that just five hours ago you, you were saying to yourself, I'm going to die, I can't finish this race. And now you have the feast. Heaven will be even greater than that. You might in this life right now say, I, I can't keep going. Where is God in all of this? You will get to heaven and you will look back and you will say, silly Tim Bertillac, why did I ever doubt that God was with me? Why did I ever wonder, will God keep his word? Sometimes we can be so concerned with our immediate circumstances, and I don't want to belittle those kinds of trials, but sometimes we can lose sight of the final victory and that's what God gives us in Jesus Christ. The final victory. His resurrection that we see happened here, that Peter is testifying to and talking about, His resurrection will become our resurrection if we have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
Let me make one more analogy to you. Think of a commander in a war, in warfare, in a battle. And the commander can see the whole battlefield. And the troops in the trenches can only see one part. And the commander orders a squad of soldiers to go attack an enemy position. And he knows if they go and do that, they will most likely die. And the soldiers there wonder, why are we getting this order? Why should this hardship come upon us? Because if we go out there, we are going to die. But the commander sees the whole picture. Sometimes commanders order men in battle to do things that will cause them most likely to sacrifice themselves because he sees the big picture. He sees the men and the lives that will be saved. He sees that if we take this position or we retreat from this position, the battle over here can be won. And if we win the battle over here, we'll swing our armies around and wipe the enemy off the battlefield. But the commander knows things that the troops in the trenches don't know. How much more is it with God? God knows things and sees things and plans things that we can't begin to even comprehend. And God allows hardship sometimes in our lives because it is good for us or it serves His purpose or maybe it brings other people to salvation or it causes the victory to be won somewhere else. But God is not callous and capricious when He lets these things happen. He's not sitting up in heaven chuckling at your suffering going, well, now you're going to learn. You see, the one who sometimes asks great things of us and brings great hardships into our lives for our good and for God's glory, the God who does that did it first and foremost with His own Son. He sent His one and only Son down into the battlefield and sent Him out onto the field to sacrifice Himself in a manner of, of utter and complete humiliation on that cross, bearing then even the wrath of God so that people as He's being crucified are scoffing that God would let this Jesus be cursed. But God did it for our good and for His glory. And He kept His word and raised Jesus from the dead. One final application. This is kind of, this picture of what God does, His plans and His purposes that are a mystery, this is the exact opposite of that sort of prosperity gospel that is out there today. The prosperity gospel is a great evil and it, and it says if you just trust God, only good things will ever happen to you. And if a bad thing happens to you, it must be your fault because you didn't trust God enough. Sometimes God in the mystery of His will allows bad things to happen because they fulfill His plan. And we need to trust Him. We need to trust Him. 
the prosperity gospel didn't work for Jesus. God trusted Jesus more than anybody, or Jesus trusted God more than anybody else in this world. And God let him go to the cross. God raised him up, but God let him go to the cross so that we might put our faith and trust in Jesus and find our ultimate hope not in full bank accounts, in big houses, in all of those earthly things that we measure success by. We might find the goodness and the fullness of God in the final resurrection because Jesus Christ died for me and He rose again from the dead for me. I hope this morning that you will be encouraged to trust God. That you will look at this passage of Scripture and say, God keeps His Word. And that when hardships come upon you, you will make God and His Word your anchor. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that we do not understand all of Your ways. But we know that You are good. And your word tells us that you are good. And you show us your goodness in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You show us your beauty. You show us your majesty and your glory. That that is the center of all human history. The the thing that reveals yourself to us the most is this death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, when we get into hardships, we struggle, we face doubts. Perhaps we've even lashed out at you in anger or frustration. But turn our hearts now, Lord, to the cross of Jesus Christ and to his resurrection. That we might boast in you and say, this is what my God does. This is how awesome he is. Yes, I don't understand all of your plans. But what you do is awesome. And I see it in Jesus Christ. Build us up today, Lord. Encourage us. Bind us together as brothers and sisters in Christ and bring us back here next week to worship you and to hear your word. Oh, in your precious and holy name we pray. As we thank you, Lord, we say amen. Amen.